Afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you. For those who don't know, my name's Ephraim, and I'm privileged to be one of the elders here and blessed to be sharing the word with you today. So we are currently in a series in the Beatitudes, and um, the Beatitudes are a series of blessings that are found declared by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, and so feel free to turn there. Um, Matthew 5. Um, today we'll be considering good morning. And um, this, this series has kind of um, somewhat evolved, for want of a better word. I know some of you get nervous hearing a word like that, but I don't mean in the macroevolution type sense. Um, and the Lord has really just been um, exciting my heart as I've been engaging with it. Um, I've, in the process of preparing and, um, you know, we've we got to kind of do the, the deep digging as those who share the word. And we are always um, encouraged when the Lord provides resources from those who have gone before us and have done a lot of the spade work to help us. Um, but there's a book that I'm commending to you as the accompaniment to this series. So um, very often we will encourage people to get books that go with the series that we're doing. And um, we're only on the second Beatitude today, so we're not that far in. But this book here is absolutely an immense blessing. And it will be a real blessing to you. It's a very easy read. Um, it's called Momentum by Colin S. Smith. The strap line being Pursuing God's Blessings Through the Beatitudes. Um, it is available, Kindle, audiobook, um, and paperback. It's the kind of book that I like because um, I work with audiobooks and Kindle most definitely. Um, so it's, it is available there on Amazon, and um, I very much recommend it. And when we recommend books to accompany a series, we're not basically saying, okay, well, when you read the books, you're basically going to hear what we preach before um, we preach it, because we're preaching messages, we're preaching sermons. Um, it's not an academic lecture, but what the books will do is provide further insight and add depth to your understanding of what we're going through in the Word, so that you're actually getting the, the, the fullness of the nutrients and the richness of God's Word um, as much as is able to be gained in one sitting. There's limited time and the limited amount we can share from the pulpit um, and so these books um, are definitely helpful, and I know this one will very much be. Um, how many of you have um, actually engaged with any of the books from the previous series? So we had the big book, the, li the little book of big words for the last one, and so on. Okay, a few of you. And I'm, I, I, and I'm sure I don't need to ask whether or not you found them to be a blessing. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 No doubt. And so, um, again, Momentum is the book that we're um, recommending. And um, we normally have a supplier that we deal with called Ten of Those, a Christian distributor. And um, Rob's got the, the links there. Um, they got a lot of love for Pastor Rob, so we'll, we'll get him to speak to them <laughs> and see if we can get a deal from them on paperbacks if anybody would like. If you would like a paperback, please do feel free to um, give your name afterwards. Um, for the book, and then we'll see what we can do in terms of getting a deal. So, 
good morning. No? I've already given my salutations and greetings. This is the title. <laughs> good morning. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. The reality is that death is something nobody likes. 180,000 people die every day on average, globally. That's 3,000 every hour. 125 every minute. Two every second. As they say, the statistics remain true. 10 out of 10 people die. There isn't anybody who generally, as a generalization, welcomes death. This is what Woody Allen, um, a renowned comedian and filmmaker, writer, director, he said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Death is a reality that we all have to face. And what a blessing it is that Jesus has promised us good morning. Good morning. And there's a certain kind of morning specific kind of mourning that enables us to experience good mourning. And so we'll consider that today as we look at Matthew 5. So please do look with me. I'm going to read all of the Beatitudes, and that's Matthew 5, 1 to 12, and our focus will be on verse 4. Seeing the went up on the mountain... And when he sat down, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word is an expression of yourself, unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Lord, in your word, you give promises that don't make sense into the, to the natural mind. And yet, Lord, you mean exactly what you say. I ask, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with the light of your word today by the power of your spirit. And that, Lord, we would embrace you 
and all your promises to us, especially that, Lord, of the promise of good morning. Thank you, Lord, for such a precious promise in Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Beatitudes are these statements, these blessings, and um, often they're shared in children's church and Sunday school and maybe growing up we heard the Beatitudes. Um, some of you may know a song that is sung. There's probably been a few. Anybody know the song that's sung of the, with the Beatitudes and it helps you to remember if you kind of go back in the day like that? No? No one? Okay. Interesting. Maybe we need to write one. <laughs> and yet, <clears throat> these are, are verses that are often um, encouraged to be committed to memory as we did. So on Thursday, we challenged the community groups and the Friday group. Um, you know what? Memorize the Beatitudes. Memorizing scripture is a very healthy spiritual discipline. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, sharper than any bullet, sharper than any knife. It is spiritually powerful. And it's important, like David the psalmist said, that we hide the word of God in our hearts. And so memorizing the word is a really um, helpful and effective way of having it in us and part of us and ready for recall. So I'd encourage you. Um, by the time we finish this series, why don't you make it your goal to have memorized all of the Beatitudes? Yeah. Amen. Now, Sam's got a methodology of how to do that well that actually works. And so you can speak to him afterwards about what that looks like. <laughs> or you can come to community group and watch us practice it. But these are more than just sayings that are cute. They're more than just sayings that are, you know, easy on the ear. The depth in these sayings is so much more than we could even explore in one series. We looked last week at blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we appreciated that, you know what, this isn't just talking about poverty in a financial or social sense, but fundamentally it's talking about those who come to God with no claims of entitlement, no sense of God owing us anything, but rather it's a declaration of the bankruptcy of heart and total reliance upon Jesus's mercy and grace. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. No matter how self-assured, no matter how well we're doing in life, God's not impressed. Academic excellence, I mean, we say this all the time, right? So I don't need to labor the point. But likewise, it doesn't matter how hard a life we've had and how hard, by, how hard done by we've been and, and, you know, how much we suffered and how much we've, we've lost out and how much we've been victimized. Likewise, that doesn't mean that God owes us anything. When we come as one who has nothing, no claim to God, just casting ourselves upon his mercy and grace, Jesus said, 
you are blessed. You are happy in that situation because that attitude of heart delights God. It pleases God. No one can step to God as if we're on his level. As the saying goes, God is God all by himself. He doesn't need anyone else. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about what we go through. And in fact, as we look at this beatitude, we see that unpack that God actually really does care. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That is true. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning. You know, there's different types of mourning we can experience. And we're going to look at three different types of mourning that the Bible speaks of. Natural, worldly, and spiritual. Because there is a way in which all three of them relate to what's being spoken about here. Blessed are those who mourn. But the first thing I want to highlight is that the very concept being put forward by Jesus doesn't make sense. Fundamentally, what Jesus is saying is, happy are the sad. So as I've been preparing, uh, I had opportunity to um, catch up with a brother. Some of you are familiar with him for his music. His name's Shailen, and um, he's a lay leader in a um, relatively new church plant in Philadelphia. And so they've been preaching through the Beatitudes, and um, I heard him preach on this. And he said, you know, that is a, 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 it's a paradox. It's a contradiction in terms. Happy are the sad. You're not going to go on Instagram and find somebody with a, a picture of themselves crying and sobbing Hashtag blessed. It's a contradiction in terms. But that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a contradiction. God is so great that he makes the nonsensical make sense. How can the sad claim to be happy? Well, how can someone claim to be born again? This was the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus, right? And Nicodemus asked him, how can a, a person, an adult, go back into their mother's womb? That doesn't make sense, Jesus. And Jesus rebuked him, well, so you're the, the head teacher of Israel, and you don't know how this works. It's a spiritual reality, Nicodemus. He was born of the spirit, is spirit, and he was born of the flesh, is flesh, and it's a spiritual reality. And likewise, for those who mourn to be happy can only be due to a spiritual reality. It's not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that we can conjure up. It's not something that we can earnestly pray and squint our eyes and grit our teeth and Raise our voice 
clench our fist and it happened. It is a work of God. And it is one that he has promised to those who believe. The reality is that we all experience mourning. There are probably very few, if any, within the sound of my voice who have never experienced loss. Who's never experienced the loss of a loved one. Never grieved. And maybe you haven't experienced the loss of a loved one and you're one of the few. You know, it won't be long before at some point you will experience that. As elders, we're all aging. You can see by the gray hair. I said to um, someone that I'm pushing 50 this week. They almost fell off their chair. <laughs> and the reality is that as we're aging, so are our, so are our elders in our families. And we have to ready ourselves for that inevitable time when we're going to be having to lay our parents to rest and our, and our aunts and uncles and so on. And it's not a nice prospect. One of the things I've noticed about our elders, they've reached a stage in life where they seem to be less phased by death. I don't know, maybe it's just our elders in, in our families and in our communities. But they kind of got to that point in life where they've seen it so often, it doesn't impact them in the same way, at least on the surface, at least initially. But everybody mourns. Everybody experiences that grief as a result of genuine loss. Sometimes that mourning is the loss of life. Sometimes it's the loss of a marriage. The breakdown in a relationship. Divorce. Could be the loss of a home. I remember a friend who's a pastor um, over in Oxford, he had a fire. And as a result of the fire, um, it, it burnt out his study where all his books were and um, it, didn't, it didn't decimate the whole house, but he lost a lot. And I know that those books meant, a, I mean, this is a bigger man to me and a man who's been in the ministry for oh, 40 years. I'm sure he had some treasured items in that study. And it was only God's grace that helped him to, to deal with that loss. So we can lose, genuinely lose things that mean things to us. You might have started a business and had to declare bankruptcy lost a significant amount of money, money, or even lost freedom. 
the Lord said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Whatever the reason for your mourning, whatever the reason for your grieving, to all who believe, you shall be comforted. Sarah Desson, in the book, The Truth About Forever, says this about mourning, and particularly losing someone. That was the thing. You never got used to it. The idea of someone being gone. Just when you think it's reconciled, accepted, someone points it out to you, and it just hits you all over again. That's shocking. They say that you never, ever get over losing someone. You just learn to adapt. It's like losing a limb. You don't get over losing a limb. You just adjust your life accordingly. And even as believers, we experience the pain of loss. There was a Scottish missionary called John G. Patton. And it was reported in the Daily Bread in um, 1992. That he and his wife sailed for the New Hebrides. And three months after arriving on the island of Tanna, his wife died. One week later, his infant son also died. Patton was plunged into sorrow, feeling terribly alone and surrounded by savage people who showed him no sympathy. He wrote these words, let those who have ever passed through my similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. As for all other, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows. But for Jesus and his fellowship, I would have gone mad and died. That's a man experiencing deep grief, even as a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't make us immune from experiencing the pain of loss. Talking about scripture memorization, when I was growing up, my grand forced me to memorize the 23rd Psalm. And there are various points in my life where just phrases come to mind. And I'm often reminded of the phrase from the Psalm that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, because you are Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no. It's not that, oh, Lord, you're my shepherd and you're going to lead me a different route so I don't go through the valley of the shadow of death. No, I don't need, I'm not going to even fear it, have, have shadows to fear and evil surrounding me. I'm going to be flying above the mountaintops. No. We go through the valley, even in the shadow of death, 
given opportunity to fear for our very own lives. And yet we don't fear because the Lord is with us. We're not exempt for it, from it, but he's with us through it. Grief is something that even Jesus himself experienced. This is statistically the shortest verse in the Bible. You don't have to be a great mathematician to see why. Two words. Jesus wept. And this was in John chapter 11. Jesus standing before the tomb of his of his friend, of his brethren, Lazarus. This is even quoted 10 verses after Jesus has just comforted Lazarus' sister by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus himself declared his own power, and yet within a few verses he's wept. And he's not weeping, you know, like when you're trying to hide it. And you're trying to firm it and you get a little bit of eye water. Or as Chloe would say, you get, have an eye squeeze, Dad. And you, you try and fight the tears and stop it from running. And this was shoulder shaking, nose running, weeping. Jesus himself. When the Bible says he was in every way tested as we are, Yet without sin, no corners are cut as it relates to that statement. And yet the word says, Jesus himself says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So there is hope in our mourning. And whatever you're mourning right now, there's hope in your mourning. Whatever grief you're feeling right now, there's hope in your grieving. It could be an enduring battle with sickness. It could be a, a relationship on the verge of death. There's hope in your grieving. You shall be comforted. And yet still, the, 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 the natural mourning that we experience isn't the mourning that's primarily in focus here. That's not because at the end of the day, everybody mourns at some point in some way. So does that mean that just everybody's blessed? No. There's a different kind of mourning that Jesus is primarily talking about. Not even just the mourning of losing a loved one to death or anything else that I've mentioned previously. Now, I just want to clarify, first and foremost, not only is that not the mourning that Jesus is talking about primarily, but also the what, what we might say worldly notion of mourning and grief is also not what Jesus is talking about. 
You see, there is a, a worldly sense, sense in which people mourn. And even we as Christians can fall into that trap of mourning in this way, thinking that it's a, 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 a genuine mourning that the Lord really regards. This verse here in 2 Corinthians 7 helps us to begin to see the difference between the two. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's a, there's a godly grief, a godly mourning and a worldly grief or a worldly mourning. Generally, it can be said that the worldly mourning is the sorrow for things removed from our lives that God has not intended for us. Or those things in our life that we mourn the loss of, but they're just of fleshly origin. Now, I use the word flesh and, and worldly. Bible terms. We don't have to be scared of them if we're unfamiliar with them. Worldly means according to human ingenuity or experience, but not orig originating from God. Likewise, flesh can be seen as somewhat of a synonym, an interchangeable word for that. It speaks of the, the human impulse to satisfy our emotions and our intellect and our physical impulses apart from God. We see this in Galatians 6 as it relates to that. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap what? But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? All right. So if someone sows or invests in their flesh, they will reap corruption. And yet if someone invests in the life of the Spirit, then they'll reap eternal life. And so again, we see a choice between even as those who are in Christ and seeking after the Lord, a choice between the, the, the two angles and the two approaches and the two paths that we can take. Are we going to invest in our own desires, our own expectations, our own delights, our own aspirations, or that which is of the Lord? Because if we do the former, we're going to reap corruption. And there is a, not only a, an opportunity for us to invest in our flesh and our own fleshly lives, but also to mourn the loss of things that we've invested in. We all know what it's like to invest in a job and then probation period, it doesn't work out. And we feel gutted. Even if it was our choice to leave, to think that I went through all that process, all the application, I went through interviews, I went through the in, in, induction, orientation, 
And then it, it, it just proved to be worthless. Investing in a relationship or investing funds into something that. And we can mourn the loss of our investment. The key is to invest in the right place. Otherwise, you get the small print and the fast talk like at the end of the adverts. Please be aware that all your investments are subject to um, risk. And now we see this in the life of Abraham. And Abraham mourned investing in the wrong place. This is in Genesis 21. And Abraham has basically had the promise from God that I'm going to give you a son. And he couldn't wait for the promise to be fulfilled by God. And so Abraham took matters into his own hands. And his wife Sarah said to him, look, there's your servant, Hagar. Go and sleep with her and have a child. Because they were old, aged, And yet, Abraham done so, not according to God's um, initiation or idea. But he listened to Sarah and said, sounds like a good idea. Not every good idea is a God idea. And this was a, a, a situation that came back to haunt him and his people even to this day. Because it is said that the, the son that he had from that union with Hagar is Ishmael. And the Ishmaelites are the, the, the Arab nations. And yet, the son that he had of, of promise, Isaac, then became the father of Jacob and the Jewish nation. And we know that there ain't no love between the Arabs and the Jews. And that's as a result of that one decision. And yet we see here Abraham mourning the loss of relationship with his son Ishmael. So Sarah, his wife, said to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son. For the, slave, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. See, God's fulfilled his promise now and given them the son. And now that the son's come, they don't want any competition, Sarah in particular. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. I mean, son of promise or not, it was his firstborn. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. You see, God is faithful to his promise even when it doesn't seem like he's going to be. And even when we take matters into our own hands, God is still intent on fulfilling his purpose for our lives. And there's sometimes in our lives when we have to take losses 
we have to take the L, as they say, the loss. Because that thing is not what God intended for us. It's not what God wants for us. In fact, it was more of, of our own doing than it was of God's doing. When we find ourselves in such a situation, you know what? There's no point mourning. Because when we are choosing to give ourselves and invest in God's will and purpose, we will experience life. And so mourning over such things is a worldly mourning. We see this again in 1 Kings. Ahab was the king, and Naboth had the vineyard, and Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. I mean, he was the king, he had everything. And this one man had one little vineyard, but it was nice. You know, sometimes you've just got your little thing and it's nice and people want to be real, uh, like we would say, red-eye. I was trying to, trying to think of the, what's the word? Um, jealous, 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 jealous. I just got lost in Jamaican right there. Jealous, envious. Can't, can't let you be with, with your little promotion. The haters come out to play. And this was Ahab. And he tried to buy the, the, the vineyard from Naboth. And Naboth was like, no, nah, the Lord has blessed us and our family with this. And we don't have much, but this is what we have. And the Lord's given it to us. And we just want to be faithful to the Lord with it. And look, Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen, pouting. And, and what's the word? He was um, moody because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, sulking, you know, turned away. Wouldn't eat no food. I mean, you would really think that he was grieving the loss of something that he ought to be grieving. But just because, it, because he couldn't get his way. And some of you looking at this like, look at Ahab though. I mean, how could he be so greedy and so bad mind and just because. And we're just the same. Don't get our way. Have a disagreement. Somebody wants to do it another way. Start sulking. Start getting all passive-aggressive. Take five years to answer the text. And when we answer it, it's just K. <laughs> I, I, I was educated. You know, like, with these social media and that, right? There's, there's the whole different kind of etiquette and everything, yeah? And so one time I, I, uh, I sent a K to... Because I, I saw people doing that. I thought, okay, that's what you do, send a K. And my girls were like, that's rude, you know, Dad. You can't be just sending K. That's just. I don't know how many people I'd sent it to before that. <laughs> like, What's wrong with Pastor E, man? But Ahab was in his K mode. 
You weren't talking to anyone. And even Jezebel, his wife, recognized, come to him and said, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? This is how vexed he was. Now, the thing is, his worldly grief, his worldly mourning led to him killing Naboth over this vineyard. And our own sense of um, dissatisfaction, our own sense of self-glorification can lead us to do things that, not even that we wouldn't, we ought not to do, but we wouldn't even ordinarily do, just be out of character. Now, it wasn't out of character for Ahab because he was a very self-centered and egotistical king. But we have to be careful where we're investing. We have to be careful what we're looking for. And ultimately, when God says no, take the loss. Move on and trust that you shall be comforted because God has better. And so when we look at the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about, he's not just talking about the natural mourning. And there is comfort for those in Christ who mourn. We're not talking about worldly mourning, worldly grief. But we're talking about the spiritual mourning over sin. You see, even when we think about death and we mourn death, I remember hearing Pastor Rob one day say at a funeral, and these words don't, that have never left me. Death is an unwelcome intruder in anyone's life. But why do people die? Why do people die? People die because of sin. And so we can't just mourn the fruit and not the root. There's no point just mourning death unless we're really understanding where death came from and why it reigns supreme. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. I mean, you want to question whether the Bible's true? Just a basic statement like that. You should be able to disprove that if the Bible is not true. How is, that make, how is it that that statement, that verse makes sense universally wherever you go, anywhere in the world? Death comes to all people because all have sinned. And so, this is really what we ought to mourn. This is where our sorrow ought to be. And not sorrow in the sense of, cha, Adam and Eve, man, they flocked. Like, why, why would God even trust them anyway? Furthermore, you know what? God should have God trusted me. Because if I was there, I wouldn't do that. 
Come on now. Let's, let's just be real with ourselves. Let's be honest. It's clear that if we were in the same place, we would have done the same thing. Because we do. Even as Christians, we make choices to sin. All of us. As those who have been forgiven, purchased by the blood of the Lamb, filled with His Spirit, and we still make choices to sin. So don't beat your chest and lament at Adam and Eve and say, oh, it's their fault. No. Well, why do I have to? We do the same thing as the redeemed. So let's recognize we need to take ownership. We need to take responsibility for our sin. We need to take responsibility and we ought to lament and mourn over sin. Sin is not a joke. Sin is not a game. And as we look back at the verse in 2 Corinthians 7, it says that fundamentally, godly grief produces repentance. Now, repentance is not regret and it's not remorse. It's not the regret uh, of being caught out or God pointing the finger or getting caught for a wrong. That's not repentance. And it's not remorse for the things that I've done to others and caused them to hurt. That's still not repentance. And often we, we, get, we get it mixed up and we think because we feel sorry that that's what repentance is. Let me, let me share you a, a, a couple quotes from the book that I, I'm recommending to you, and then you'll see why I'm recommending it. This actually messed me up. Listen to this as it relates to godly sorrow and repentance. For more than half a century, a true faith that unites a person to Jesus Christ has been replaced by an assent to or agreement with certain beliefs. This substitution makes it easy for many to accept Christ without ever pursuing the holiness of life to which a Christian is called. A form of faith that leaves a person essentially unchanged is not worthy to bear the name of our Lord. Now, you need, to, you need to think about that for a moment. This isn't the kind of talk that you generally hear, but it's true. A true faith that unites a person to Jesus Christ has been replaced by merely agreeing with certain truths. Oh, I agree that Jesus is Lord. I agree that he died for our sins. I agree that he rose from the dead. I agree that if I have faith in him, I'll have eternal life. And therefore, it makes it easy for many to accept Christ without ever pursuing the holiness of life to which a Christian is called. This is not 
solid Christianity. It goes on to say, a second gutting of biblical Christianity is that repentance, which in the Bible involves a change of direction, is often reduced to admitting that I am a sinner and asking forgiveness. Now you might say, what's wrong with that? Hold on. But surely ain't that what we're supposed to do? Admit that we're guilty and ask for forgiveness. Isaiah described true repentance when he said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Seeking the Lord involves leaving or forsaking ways and thoughts that dishonor him. And calling on the Lord involves returning to him. You see, the idea that we just admit that we're wrong and ask for forgiveness leaves so many of us in a place where we continue in our behavior thinking it's okay because we've admitted that we're wrong. And yet, biblical repentance says, don't just admit that you're wrong. It's, it's, it's necessary to do that. Don't just ask for forgiveness. It's necessary to do that. But furthermore, now do something. Turn away and turn to the Lord. Turn away from those sinful acts and attitudes and thoughts and embrace the Lord and his acts and his attitudes and his thoughts. That's what true repentance looks like. Now, he elaborates on it in the book. And so you can read more on that. Because he does a very good job of distinguishing what real repentance is and looks like. But biblical repentance is a repentance that not only involves us agreeing with God in word, but also in deed. So many of us find ourselves in those struggles where we're constantly wrestling with habitual sin. And what it challenges is, have we actually really trusted Christ? We may be very repentant, but have we trusted Christ that actually his grace is sufficient for us to overcome? His spirit is powerful enough to help us not to continue in those practices. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go your way and sin no more. That wasn't just some ideal some aspirational ideal. And, 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 and this is a real challenge for us as it relates to what does our life of repentance and, and sorrow for sin really look like? How sorry for sin are we when we just continue in it? 
constantly, even though God has provided the grace, the means to go beyond it. We need to mourn our sin, recognizing that God has provided comfort. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will come. And one of the words used, one of the names given to the Holy Spirit is the comforter. And one of the ways in which the Lord empowers us and comforts us in our mourning over sin is that he gives us his spirit who helps us to overcome. But it's first on the basis that Jesus died for us. The one who himself mourned sin. He looked at Jerusalem and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, you who stoned the prophets. Oh, how I would gather you under my wings like a, a hen gathers her chicks. He mourned and lamented over the sin of the people. And yet he became an object of mourning by giving himself to die in your place and in my place for our sin. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not count his sin. There's comfort there because we don't have to fear death and fear the judgment that follows. The reality is that there is no one who can make sense of death apart from Christ. It makes absolutely no sense to say, well, you're born, you suffer, you die, and that's it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What's the point? What's the point? Nobody is able to make sense of death apart from Jesus. Even the most aggressive atheist will just turn around and say, well, we just have to accept that there's no meaning or purpose to life. It's whatever you make of it. Is that really satisfying to the longing in our souls? Does that really answer the deep calling in our souls for more than this? Absolutely not. But when we see the promise of God, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That resonates with our core, with the deepest part inside of us. That makes sense. That is comfort. And so may we be a people that Lament and mourn over the state of our own sin and the sin that we see among us and the sin that we see around us. May we be a people that don't trivialize it, take it for granted or excuse it, justify it. You know what they've done to me? Jesus said this. In Luke 25, in Luke's rendition of the Beatitudes, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. 
Woe to you who laugh now. Ah, living it up. Best life now. It's lit. Yeah. Cool. Do your thing in it. Have your time. For you shall mourn and weep. When judgment comes, there ain't going to be no laughing and joking, no raving, no DJs, no bands. Mourning and weeping. And so we mourn now and laugh later. Or we laugh now and mourn later. This is what the Lord says. You should read James from verse 1, but for the sake of time, I'm going to cut straight to verse 8. Be near, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It sounds like a contradiction. I mean, come on, Pastor E, this is supposed to be the rally. We're supposed to be leaving out of there, punching the air. Yeah, death is defeated. No more mourning. That's the outcome. But first, you've got to get the intro. How do you get into that place where you can punch the air and celebrate if it's not mourning at the reality of sin? That makes the self. The, 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 the saving work of Jesus all the more meaningful. People don't care about the good news until they understand the bad news. Jesus loves you. Yeah, so do I. So does my mom. You, you need to, we need to afflict people's hearts. Um, Ray Comfort, evangelist, he said, we need to afflict the comforted. Every, every leaning back, feeling nice, got their house, got their life in order. Now nah, they go through a few ups and downs, but you know, they, they, they duck and dive, they hustle, they make it happen, they do their thing. Don't need God. Yeah, really? Mm, okay. But you will, because the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you're going to do it now by choice or you're going to do it later under duress. Because you can do it now and look forward to the party eternal. Or you can party now and look forward to suffering eternal. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But as we do that, the revelation of Jesus' saving work, the fact that he has conquered death, the fact that there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering, that fills our hearts with God's pleasure. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the only place to find rest. It's the only place to find peace in Christ. It's only then do we find good morning. I'm going to invite the team to come back.
And I'm going to ask us to stand. You know, there are a few funerals that I've been to in my lifetime. Funerals of believers that really confused um, unbelievers that attended. Because they came and expected the, the normal, sad, dour, downcast funeral experience. Only to see a praise party. And, and joy and color and, and thanksgiving. I remember one time sitting next to someone and their, their brow was knotted. You know, like when someone's like screw face and they're sitting there. And I mean, obviously it's a funeral, so you don't know what kind of emotional pain someone's feeling. And then they turned to me and I said, you know what, I've never been to a funeral like this before, you know. You see, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death, of, the death of his saints. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the grave. And he has conquered every reason for mourning. And so be encouraged. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Father God, we thank you for uh, just a, an absolutely nonsensically unbelievable promise, promise in Christ Jesus. We thank you because we can't find those kind of assurances and guarantees anywhere else in life. Look to other beliefs and, and other religions and what do they have to substantiate their claims? We have a risen saviour who's no longer dead. We have an empty tomb. We have angels saying he's not here. He is risen. We have disciples being martyred for their testimony. We have a history of, of a nation as the size of Wales affecting the whole globe for 2,000 years with the testimony of the risen Savior. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, that our assurance is not in ourselves. And even though there may be so many things that we would mourn the loss of, some genuinely and others not, Lord, you're at work in our lives, transforming us, Renewing our minds, transforming our, our very walk, our very living. Comforted by the strength of your spirit as we walk in the victory of Jesus Christ. Yes, you've caused us to be overcomers, overcomers. But that not of ourselves. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.